0: i
1: friends, my warriors, this is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. I have the privilege tonight to be with Laura Woody. She is a bereaved mom whose son, Jimmy, died of fentanyl poisoning at the age of 29, and he died on November 1st, 2021. He has three surviving siblings, and she's married to Danny Woody. They live in Southwest Missouri. She has graciously agreed to join us tonight to tell us all about her son, what he went through, her grieving process, and also about her, her place, um, trying to help other bereaved parents who are not only going through this during, with fentanyl, but also on a Facebook group that she developed. But first of all, she's the moderator of the Lost Voices of Fentanyl Facebook group, which is very popular, unfortunately. It has over 26,000 people in that group right now, but she also decided another group was very much needed, and that group is called the uh, Facebook groups, the help me. Grandparents
0: Raising Grandchildren While Grieving the Loss of a Child.
1: Great. (laughs) I didn't want to get it wrong, but she's the founder of that group on Facebook, which is also very needed and it's been helpful to a lot of grandparents. So I welcome her today and I'm grateful that she's taken the time to be with us today. So thank you, Laura.
0: Thank you for having me. I, I, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. So... I'd love to start if you would tell us about Jimmy's growing up years. You know your family, what he was like. You mentioned about his musician um, aspirations and all the the different instruments he loved.
0: I I, I used to make jokes about uh, and say that Jimmy started going through the terrible twos at the age of nine months and never grew out of them. <laughs> He, he he had a mind of his own and he he was pretty stubborn. Um, we we, we clashed heads a lot when he was growing up and he was he was extremely intelligent but in his own way. Like when they did the pre kindergarten testing, you know, to see if they're ready for kindergarten, he failed. And because he didn't close his circle when they told him to draw a circle, he didn't close it completely so they said his fine motor skills were weren't sufficiently developed i said but he builds skyscrapers with legos so so, okay and and then the pre-kindergarten teacher said why he's in here he's helping me teach the class (laughs) so he was extremely intelligent um very very talented musically like i said he started off with Violin in fourth grade, and lived in Raytown, Missouri. And when we moved down here in 2004, it was halfway through his sixth grade, and they did not have an orchestra program, so they put him in band. And I, I was afraid because he was starting a semester later than the other kids that he wouldn't do well. He, he did just fine. He, he switched from violin to tenor saxophone. Um, I've actually got some videos of him. Performing some solos that he wrote in high school. Wow! Wow! He was composing music by the time he was in high school. He wanted an electric guitar, and he earned the money to buy that himself. And I bought him a keyboard. He he self taught that, and then we got him a bass guitar, and he self taught that and self taught drums. He he could pretty much play any instrument he picked up. <clears throat> Excuse me, but. Um, and he told me, he said, Mom, I just want to know how to play every instrument well enough to know how to write for it. Oh, uh, wow. In the interview I was telling you about, he he said he never aspired to be a rock star. He wanted to write like McDonald's commercials or he said that music that in, you hear in the background of action movies that you don't even realize you're hearing. <laughs> he He wanted to write, compose that and... Um, Almost like
1: um, <laughs> uh, a Williams, you know, yeah. like the Boston Pops. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, he, he started writing songs. And he had a, a friend that was in high school band with them. They they wrote some songs together. And they performed live together once with, a, like, a drum machine. And then they got a couple, another friend from high school band to come in and play drums. And they, they temporarily had another singer. Um, they performed a couple of shows, but then he let him go. He basically said, if you can't remember the lyrics to Detro- Detroit Rock City, you can't be in my band. <laughs> <laughs> I took him to his first rock concert in 16. That was his, and he really enjoyed that. But he also was a huge Frank Sinatra fan. And Wow. You know, we we always talked about going to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra together, you know, I mean, he, and he loved marching band. He loved marching band. He talked about, um, he said if he went to college, he'd like to go to OSU, the, the famous marching band there. And he auditioned for MSU and was given a full ride for, you know. Based on his X phone audition, but the high school counselor, because he hadn't been applying for scholarships and whatnot, she hadn't made sure that he had the right math credits to get into <gasps> university.
1: Oh my god!
0: Had the right ones to graduate, so he had to go do some general studies, and ended up that ended up not working out. And that, that's one of the many what ifs that I think you know. What if? He would have been able to go to a major university and, you know, but how how would things have turned out differently? I have reviewed everything I've done in the past 30 years and wondered if I'd turn left that day instead of right, would Jimmy still be alive?
1: You know? Yes. But
0: I think we all do that.
1: Absolutely. We all think of what should have been or could have been.
0: Just he came into my bedroom one day. I think it was maybe 12, 13. He said, "Hey, mom, I found this really neat show you might like on VH1. It's called Metal Mania." And I was like, "Oh yeah." Because okay. so that became a tradition for the two of us to to watch that. It was on twice a week, and I said, "Oh yeah, I've seen that band in concert. I've seen that band in concert." <laughs> <laughs> from that point forward, we kind of bonded over music, and I mean. In the later years of his life there wasn't a day that went by that one of us wasn't sharing a song or a video with the other and we always talked about music and i was i was very proud of him he was very talented
1: wow that's wonderful
0: but, yeah they only got two two songs fully recorded for what was to be their their first album and it didn't happen
1: what was the name of his band? James and the Nasty Peach. <laughs> I love that. I just think that's so, you know, very unique, something you wouldn't forget. Well, his name was James and his
0: friend who's guitar player that he they wrote songs together. Um he's an important part of the story too. His his name, nickname was Peaches.
1: So oh, James oh. and the Nasty Peach. <laughs> Yeah. And would you tell us um, what led to his death?
0: When at one of their band practices, for whatever reason, this predator monster, I'll be nice and not call him some of the names I usually call him, was at one of their band practices and told these four young men, you know, what you guys are spending $100 on pills, I could get you the same eye for $20 with heroin. Oh, my. And that was Jimmy's undoing. And he, Jimmy was a very functioning addict. I mean, he was addicted to heroin for six years before he died of fentanyl poisoning. And I didn't even know about it for the first four years. And oh. I, gave him, I gave him a ride to work every day and babysat his stepchildren. And I didn't know. I mean, in, we live in one of those towns where everybody knows everything. It was this town's best kept secret ever. No one knew.
1: Wow. It
0: was a very functioning addict and, and it was definitely the town's best kept secret ever. Um,
1: I'm always in amazement as to how someone can, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs, you know, they get up every day, they go to work, they do their thing. You could hardly believe it if somebody told you. And I don't understand how somebody can do that. I think it's really amazing
0: to me. Stigma makes society... Think that anyone who uses any drugs is like what you see in Kensington or you know these tent camps or whatever, and that's just not the case.
1: Yes, there, yes. Uh,
0: there are a lot of recreational drug users. There are a lot of um, experimenting. You know, a, a lot of people experiment with drugs early in life, and I, I did. I I barely remember the 1980s. It's all just kind of a big blur, but when I found out I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, I checked myself into rehab because it's like, okay, it's time to turn this around. I'm going to have responsibilities now. And I did. I stayed clean and sober for 20 years.
1: Wow. That's
0: great. I, you know, and. My husband and we actually met in Alcoholics Anonymous dance. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, some people grow up and move on with life, and some people never do. Some people continue that lifestyle or whatnot. But stigma really causes people to, uh, I guess, that the, the word I hear, at least around here all the time, is druggy. Druggy. And it's just, it's very, I don't know, generic, (laughs) you know, because, you know, you different, there are different crowds that use different substances and different types of people and, you know, not all substance users are the same, you know, and I laughed at my community because they they were all once marijuana was legalized in Missouri they were also afraid of the crime that would come into the town and that's <laughs> crime people who smoke pot just sit around and play video games and eat <laughs> 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 really a lot of crimes but it, there's that that stigma and that and we need to get away from that really do because it's that stigma that causes people to not think a victim deserves justice like another any other murder victim does it's oh, absolutely really frustrating for a lot of us when law enforcement doesn't seem to think that our loved ones deserve justice or an investigation or
1: mm-hmm. toxicology report or whatever Yeah. Um, And so was when he used the fentanyl, did he even know that he was using that? That
0: night, I know that he did not. Um, He told me about his addiction, like I said, about four years into it. And I course, my, my instinct was so, well, we have to do something we have we have to do something about this but also from all of my years in aa and recovery i knew that you cannot force someone to get clean or sober you cannot you cannot determine decide what someone else's bottom is right they they yeah. reach that point on their own and i I knew that if I pushed him too hard, I would push him away. And, and I think every parent, I, I hear parents that talk about using tough love that now regret it because they feel like they, because they were practicing tough love, lost time that they could have spent with their child that they now can't get back. Sure. And I'm really, I just, my son didn't have a driver's license and I had to give him a ride all the time. And I got really annoyed with it, but now I am so glad because I got to see him every day because he needed a ride to work. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I'm grateful for that time. Now I'm grateful for that time. I got to spend with him and, and be in his life all the time. And, you know, so the fact that I, I mean, you can't force another person to get clean. I mean, I didn't enable him. I didn't condone, but I also didn't cast him out or turn my back on him because I knew he was using. And when he did decide that he wanted to get clean, and I misunderstood opioid use disorder. I I didn't understand what. Matt was, I didn't, my experience had been primarily with my parents, my dad and my stepmom were alcoholics, and they, when they would try to get sober, they would have to be hospitalized because they would go through the DTs, and, and when I decided to get sober, I went to the hospital, walked in there, stone cold sober, and they heavily sedated me, and I'm like, what? why would you do that? I said, look, I'm not an all-day, every-day drinker. I'm an all-night, every-night drinker. <laughs> People that had to have a bottle in my purse all day at work, you know, but there is a difference. So but they anyway, I, so that was my experience with detox. And I, I didn't understand what his options were and I I know he did not want to do Matt. He didn't want to get just switch addictions was what he said. But I I did get him into a facility in Joplin, Missouri about 70 miles away and the entire two days leading up to that his dealer was blowing his phone up, trying everything he possibly could but oh so subtly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just calling to see if you guys made it yet. You know, I I could see right through him. I could see that he was trying everything he could to keep Jimmy from going to treatment. And um, when it came down down to, and then he and I, his dealer and I, ended up in, in a shouting match and cussing each other out. <laughs> and, um, we didn't speak again until the night I found Jimmy, and I cussed him out again. But he tried to tell jimmy you know oh, you're you're gonna be in there in a bay of 10 or 12 guys pissing and shitting themselves and they're not gonna give you any comfort meds they're not gonna let you smoke they're gonna just torture you and your mom just wants to see you suffer that's why she's trying to take you there because she wants to see you tortured and but I'm oh my god i'm the only one who cares about you I have a better plan for you. I can help you cut back and get off the knees. But yet he was the one giving them in the face. And, um And we, we, that day, my heart experienced genuine hatred for the first time. Because it, it, I mean, it was like the the little sh- the shoulder. You know, you see the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, and. I I was muted, (laughs) you know, here's dealers saying all this and I'm muted. But somehow, miraculously, Jimmy did go to the facility and the next day, for whatever reason, he gave his dealer the phone number to where he could reach him and the dealer just blew his phone up there and offered him a free shot to end his withdrawal if he would leave, and he went and picked my son up, got him out of the detox facility, he he was never going to let him get clean. He just he would not let him.
1: And too much money.
0: Yeah, yeah. And things were really going downhill. Then um, he lost his girlfriend of nine years, and oh my, her two sons that. He had raised for those nine years that I had babysat that are now no longer in my life. But um his his world was falling apart. He he, he wasn't the the stereotypical what you see, you know, what you think of when someone says heroin user, IV heroin user, junkie, whatever. You know, he he, he wasn't Quite there, but he was headed there, and it had really taken a toll on his health. He was very frail. He'd lost a lot of weight. Um, it was affecting his teeth. I didn't realize heroin affects teeth. I didn't know that. I thought I thought meth affected teeth, but um, he he chipped a tooth and. He was really unhealthy and he was he was not in good good shape at all. But I I had heard of fentanyl and I had expressed my concerns to him. And he said, Oh, mom, pet stuff's safe. Pet stuff's always safe. I don't ever have to worry about it having fentanyl in it. My husband thinks he told me that just so I wouldn't worry. Mm-hmm. Which But I absolutely know that that night, he did not know that what he had was pure fentanyl. And that's because he left work at 10 o'clock and he arrived at Halloween party at 11 o'clock. And it's about a 25 minute drive to the town where his dealer lives. And at 1030, he called his friend, And then showed up at his house in that town, and he called him from a number the friend didn't recognize, and it happened to be the dealer's girlfriend's number. So he was with the dealer's girlfriend at 1030 before he came back to that Halloween party. The dealer himself had gone to the city to get more heroin. And when he got to the Halloween party, he told his guitar player that he had just picked up heroin. From his regular guy or from his regular guy's house or whatever, and asked him if he wanted to snort a line. He knew that his guitar player was only an occasional heroin user. He would never have given him an entire line of pure fentanyl to snort. Never. I mean, they wrote songs together, they'd been friends since Junior High band. He wouldn't have done that. He, I know that he thought he had heroin and when his friend collapsed and had to be rushed to the hospital, a similar situation had happened about a month prior at Jimmy's apartment where the same friend had collapsed and 9 one had been called, the ambulance came and got him and they did not need to use Narcan on him because it had more to do with how much alcohol he had drank.
1: Okay. Was not
0: overdose, so I'm sure Jimmy thought it was the same scenario because he arrived at the Halloween party so late, you know, and his friend had already been drinking. So I'm sure when he was rushed to the hospital, he just assumed it was the same scenario, and then he went home from the party and cooked up a shot of the same product that had just put his friend out and died instantly. When I, my youngest son, who was also at the party, told me about their mutual friend being rushed to the hospital, I kind of started to get a little concerned. I, I had to do a wellness check maybe once a week. I would have to do a wellness check on Jimmy because he wouldn't answer his phone or something. And I I tried to convey to him what that did to me as a mother. You know, each time that I had to drive over to his house, not knowing what I was going to find. And this particular time, I, I I honestly expected to find him alive. I really did. Um, but because his friend had been rushed to the hospital, I thought, you know, he hasn't been answering my calls or texts all day. And it was his day off. So that that was pretty normal for him not to answer my calls or texts all day. And I thought, you know, maybe I better just go check on him. And I did. And I found him dead. In fact, I I didn't realize he was dead. I thought he was nodded off because I'd seen him like that before. And I walked over to touch his shoulder to wake him up. And instead of being warm and soft, it was cold and stiff. Mm. And then I ran and, ironically, I, I had texted his dealer's girlfriend earlier in the day and said, you know, have you talked to Jimmy at all, all today? And right at that moment, right after I found him, she replied back to me and said, no, have you? And I just talked to Texas. He's fucking dead. And I called my husband who was on his way home from hunting. He was on vacation and. Told him that Jimmy was dead. And then I tried to call, I dialed 911 and it went through a series of clicks and I got a dial tone. So I dialed 911 again and went through another series of clicks and I heard Vernon County 911, which is the next town over. I said, My son is dead. You know, well, what's the address? And I gave the address. Well, ma'am, you've called Vernon County 911. I said, I dialed 911. Well, I'll get a message to the police department over there. They might call you. They might call me. <laughs> might... Man. So being in shock, I completely forgot that I had the police non-emergency number in my phone, but I, I I wasn't thinking. And I called my friend who is a paramedic. And I asked her, I said, I can't, Jimmy's dead. I can't get the police to come. Can you get a hold of the police and get somebody to come? And she said, What's the address? And I gave her the address and I hung up. Two minutes later, she pulls up and goes flying up the stairs with Narcan. Wow. And she didn't really, he'd been gone 17 hours. And, and she came back down, and she she called the police, and they came and they they asked us, you know, what was going on. And and you know, I said my son's a heroin addict. And she said, "It looks like it's a possible drug overdose." And they went upstairs, and they, I guess it was a police officer and a sheriff. And they, one of them came back down and said, "Well, ma'am, we're we're going to have to ask you to leave before he's carried out." And um, I mean, because he was like sitting Indian style, and his head had gone forward. And right. I said, "Okay." And they didn't want me to see. It. I said, "Well, I, I'm the one who found him, but oh, okay, I can leave." And they said, "What funeral home do you want him to take him to?" I said. Oh.
1: Like I've even thought about that? Give me a break.
0: I called my husband to ask him,
1: and because
0: you know he's from here, and that seemed to be the only information they wanted from me. And he kept emphasizing to me that that we needed to leave. I needed to leave. Uh, okay. Do you need someone to drive you? No. I, so I left, and just as I was pulling away, my husband and my daughter were pulling up, and I just kept driving because I had actually called our neighbors and asked them to run over and get the grandbabies because I thought my husband would come sooner. And so I I, I'm at home. My my friend, the paramedic, had also called my my daughter in Springfield and told her and she was on her way. And I'm at home and I'm I'm just in shock. I, I I just wanted to get home and love all my grandbabies. I just wanted to hold them and love them and my friend, the paramedic then shows up and, and she's got all these messages for me from the police who wanted me out of there right away. But then they sent all these messages with, through her. Said, well, one that we needed to go back over there and secure any valuables because there was a broken window. Okay. Two, you need to go to the funeral home the next day and. Make arrangements. You can go to the police station and get his personal property and. Um. If you want an autopsy, you'll have to request and pay for it yourself, and it'll only show positive for opiates anyway. It won't specify which one. Now, we trust the police, right? You know, we we just assume they know what they're talking about. Right. So I I didn't know to question anything I was told. I just, uh, okay. And and it didn't occur to me until later, how did they know it was opiates?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, Because I had told them he was addicted to heroin, so yeah. The did they do?
1: Did. did they do a toxicology?
0: No. Oh my no. god. I never would have thought to question it, sure, at all until I talked to his friend who had been rushed to the hospital that night after the funeral, and he told me that his lab work at the hospital showed pure fentanyl, and no heroin. And when I called the coroner, she said, oh, well, my deputy coroner was not able to get a blood specimen. I said, well, there's still some on his apartment floor. and Oh, well, it would have to be fresh blood. Okay. She said, oh, but we did send the syringe that was found laying next to him um, over to the lab for testing. It'll take about four weeks to get that back. Okay. And... I waited eight weeks and called her and asked her if she had those results. And she was she was very clearly annoyed that I was bothering her. And she said, yeah, they're around here somewhere. Um, hold on. And said, what difference does it make? <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out how who, who to contact to file a formal complaint against her. Mm-hmm. I did with the Missouri Directors of Coroners and Medical Examiners Association and received a response that she could not be reprimanded because she was an elected official. So I now know way more than I ever wanted to know about death certificates and
1: mm-hmm.
0: autopsies, autopsies. Yep. And toxic- These deaths should always be treated like a crime scene. Evidence should always be collected. Toxicology is basic evidence, and and it's required to properly prepare a death certificate. Death certificates are supposed to have an ICD-10 code for the cause of death, and it's different depending on what the substance is. And my son's death certificate says accidental drug overdose. Well, and, and, and in one of our phone calls when she said I said, What was his cause of death? And she said, Well, it, it appeared to be an accidental drug overdose. There was no suicide note. So, well, what do you overdose on Prime Rib? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Right. And what'd she say? She, she said, well well, that my my deputy was not able to get a blood specimen. I found out later in talking to one of the police officers that um the deputy coroner was not is not certified to draw blood. She knew this when she dispatched him at 7:30 on a Monday evening. She dispatched her deputy coroner knowing that he didn't he wasn't certified to draw blood.
1: That she, makes no sense. She,
0: she didn't care what my son's cause of death death was. And they don't care. They, they don't care around here at all. My community is I'm, I'm telling you, it's backwards as it gets. <laughs> They don't, there will never be any justice. There will never be. And, and, and that's frustrating. It really is.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And whatever happened with this drug dealer? He died recently. I don't know how. Ooh. And
0: I don't know if, I don't, I don't know how. He He had a lot of health issues. Um. So it could have been, I don't, I don't know. His girlfriend's still alive and well, but <clears throat> anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's hard to know that that there's no accountability, that there's no. I mean, didn't we all used to stand up every morning and say? With liberty and justice for all. Why isn't there justice for all? Why do people with a substance use disorder not deserve justice? Why do why do they not get it? Like if, I mean, if he'd been shot or stabbed.
1: But nah, even then, yeah. if a person yeah. is is murdered in that sense, you know, like um I'm pretty sure it's over. It's either 40 or 60% of the murders in this country are left unsolved for much the reason that you, because they don't have enough people to investigate it, or because they don't have enough witnesses to bring, you know, to go to trial to make sure that the person they're accusing is um, found guilty so many, so many uh, unsolved murders in this country. It's, it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I said the the evidence that I had was circumstantial because I can't prove the lead singer's cause of death or, or murder based on the guitar player's lab work and the drummer's phone records, <laughs> you know, and, and, For her to just not collect that evidence, you know, what killed him? How how could she not think that matters? But we, we have a huge problem in Missouri with coroners. You don't even have to have a GED to be a coroner in the state of Missouri.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, Are they all elected officials? Yes.
0: Yeah. And there's no standardized training for... Coroners in the state of Missouri. Uh, A few years ago, somebody literally botched up a a death certificate and a father went on a mission to get that corrected. The governor signed into law that we would have a a committee to establish a committee to create standardized training for the coroners. And then he filled all the seats on this committee, but two, and nothing happened after that. So, yeah, you know, they don't have to have a GED and there is no standardized training. And I say, I, I used to work for the federal government. I worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So, you know, the, the code of federal regulations, regulations are requirements. Guidelines are suggestions. And everything pertaining to death certificates and autopsies, there there are guidelines from the CDC. Guidelines from the National Coroners and Medicals Associ- Medical Examiners Association. There's guidelines from the Missouri Department of Health. There's guidelines from the Missouri Coroners and Medicals. There are guidelines are suggestions. And these coroners can do whatever they want. And they can put whatever they want on death certificates. And there are no consequences for not for that not being accurate. They call them vital statistics for a reason. They're, we don't have accurate numbers, not even close, not even close. I mean, according to the CDC, there has never, ever been a drug death in my county. (laughs) Serious. Never, ever been a drug death in my county, according to the CDC.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What county are you in in southwest Missouri? Cedar County, Missouri. What is it? Cedar County. Cedar? Cedar like like
0: cedar, oh, cedar the like the wood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah population 10,000 I think for the entire county. <laughs> wow. It's, it's small. And and I can't I can't raise any awareness here. I I've, I've tried. Because there are no drug deaths, I when I called up the county treasurer and I said, you know, since we apparently have had no drug deaths in Cedar County, Missouri, yet I have a death certificate that says otherwise. That must make me the only victim of the opioid epidemic in the county, and therefore I demand that there be a committee established to oversee the expenditure. Of the opioid settlement funds, and that I have seen on that committee. Oh, we 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 didn't participate in that. Wait, what? They didn't. <laughs> oh my God. She said, Oh, well, there were so many attorneys who wanted so much documentation, and we figured they were just going to get all the money anyway. So we, we just didn't participate. There was a one page electronic form that they needed to fill out and email back. We don't have an opioid problem in the county, so we don't need to participate in. You know yeah, how much awareness material? You know, we could have printed posters and um tri-fold pamphlets in the doctor's offices and posters in the high school and and I Normally, you know, in this national group, people say, "Well, where could you get Narcan?" The answer is almost always your your local health department. So I called my health department and asked them if they gave out Narcan. No, I said, "Do you have it? No. Do you know who does? Maybe the emergency." They didn't have a clue.
1: <laughs> oh my so god!
0: I said about getting Narcan for the health department to have. They didn't want that. They did not want. That. I had to go before the county commissioners, and the county commissioners were not going to insist that they carry it until my paramedic friend explained that you know, well, if Grandma gets confused and accidentally takes her medication twice, and forgetting she's already taken it, then then she might need. Okay, if not, if Grandma needs Narcan, yeah, but 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 for people like that, just that one junkie, no, we're not. So they forced the health department to get Narcan, and once they got it, they sat on it for like two months because their nurses had to be trained, and then they had to create this unnecessary paperwork to make people sign to get it. You know, like like picking up something from Fort Knox. You know, you have to sign for it. <laughs> Sign saying that you've received the training, and the training was the nurse came out and read the card to me, <laughs> the, the instruction card. Yeah, Just making it so hard for people to get it, and you know, they really did not want to give it out. They, they really did not, and you know, I tried to get into the schools. I wanted to have an assembly in the schools. Play that video, Dead on Arrival. Yeah,
1: and, it's excellent.
0: And in fact, I knew Puerto told me that he would come and speak. You know, Oh, how
1: nice.
0: Um, when I talked to the school one time, at one point, I asked them um, about that and they said, well, first they told me that all I could do was hang flyers on the outside of the high school only. And Then they told me that um, he said, well, I guess you could bring in your presentation and and show it to us. But before we could have an assembly, we'd have to have every parent sign a consent form for their child to attend. Why? Yeah.
1: That's how they get out of it. Yeah. And
0: the head lifeguard down at our pool also works at the high school. And I was talking to her and telling her about the, the Snapchat connection and that gets delivered to people's houses like a pizza and she was just shocked Of course, we don't have anything like uber eats around here and couldn't believe that and i'm like how do you not know that you're a lifeguard at the city pool and you work at the high school how do you not know this and why don't you guys want to know it yeah why is very much a, a not my kid mentality and that's sure. I just keep saying any day now, somebody's gonna roll into town with a bad batch of pills that's gonna turn up at a after football game party and you know it's frustrating because I I want to save lives. I want I want to spare other parents from having to go through what I've had to go through.
1: Yes. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, finding lost voices of fentanyl has absolutely saved my life. That's it's really the only way I've been able to survive. Because Jimmy was my best friend. We talked to everybody, he was my best
1: friend. Then He and was your first, wasn't he? Oh, well, he was my second. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: We were very close. The other kids, you say, oh, Jimmy's your favorite. I don't even deny it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But we were were very close. We we could talk about things. I miss him a lot. I I miss him a lot. Um, My grandkids miss him. Um, My granddaughter, she's already forgotten. They, They were two and three when he died. Oh, my. The two-year-old, they were on a head start, so I was able to not have to worry about taking them to the funeral, but when I took them to the cemetery the first time, after he passed and the flowers were still there, and, and I was explaining to them that he was in the ground under the flowers, and my two-year-old granddaughter got a stick and started trying to dig the dirt out. Ah, and my my grandson kept trying to understand, you know, why is Uncle Jimmy dead? How did he die? And we had recently watched Snow White, and so I was explaining to him, you know, like the poison apple, and and that was how I came up with that meme that mm-hmm. I created. Snow White did not overdose. Um, it was just simply trying to explain it to a three year old why his uncle was gone and, and the bad man gave him poison like a poison apple. Poison. Something he didn't think he was getting. And, and I tell you what, that kid's gonna be the most fentanyl aware kid in town. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Without a doubt.
0: And he knows. He knows, but I think he remembers his uncle Jimmy because they played a lot. It was very, very involved with him. And, and he sees a lot of pictures too. And, you know, I, I try to keep his memory alive for them as much as possible. They'd, he had kind of stepped up to be the parent they didn't have since their parents took off. but.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, how are you dealing? How are you dealing with your grief now? Is it helpful because it helpful to do the advocacy?
0: It's really the only thing that saved my life, because. If I hadn't found lost voices of fentanyl, I I would have drowned in the lake of my own tears by now. I really would have. Mm -hmm. I. I mean, even just two years before Jimmy died, I hated politics. I hated drama. I mean, you know, those those annoying nieces with all their depression <laughs> the things. You know, social media for me it, it was about music and humor, and, and I used to I used to be very controlling. I you didn't know, follow this and unfollow that. And my philosophy was: social media is for my entertainment, and if I can't headbang to it or laugh at it, I don't want to see it in my newsfeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that, that was the way it was. And then my daughter started having issues and I started following some some grandparents, raising grandchildren support groups. And when Jimmy got ready to start getting clean, I started joining some like Al-Anon type, you know, for support for family or people with substance use disorder type groups. And then he died. I joined the grief support groups and then I found out it was fentanyl and I found lost voices of fentanyl and I just put it in park I just I didn't go looking for a bunch of other groups because I was learning so much there I mean April and Virginia have so much knowledge and so much information and I just I was watching video after video of them speaking and reading everything it was uh, just I wanted to understand and it's like, wow, this isn't this isn't my son screwed up or my son used drugs to death. It's, this is not something my son did to himself. This is something someone is doing to our country. Yeah. China is trying to destroy us. They they said a long time ago that they would take over America without ever setting foot on our soil. And that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah. They're wiping out an entire generation and they're partnering with cartels. China wants to wipe us out and the cartels want money. And if they can get people addicted, then they've got continued customers. And if they die in the process, it's just the cost of doing business. They they don't care, they don't. And when I began to see the big picture and what's really happening here, like yeah, we got to do something about this. I I've got to join this fight. And it it started off just I was answering some questions that I I, I knew the answers to, and then April asked me to be a moderator and. After a while, she asked me to be an admin too. <laughs> but I, I would go to my grand, the, the the grandparents raising grandchildren groups, and I, I would see every once in a while someone would talk about having lost a child, and I thought you know, there are a lot of us that are you know have both of these situations, and i would be in the grief groups, and somebody would say something about having their grandchildren, and I thought you know there really a lot these are two things. That nobody plans on doing at this point in life. Yes. Nobody plans on raising their grandchildren. Nobody plans on burying a child. Both of those individually are very difficult challenges to face. Challenging them, facing those challenges at the same time together presents its own unique complications that people don't think of. Um, there are a
1: lot of grandparents, a lot of grandparents that are raising their children's children. Yeah. And I don't think enough credit goes to them. I don't think enough people understand the magnitude Mm -hmm. of what it takes, you know, to realign your entire life because you didn't plan on this. You planned on being retired, you know? And now you're in your fifties and sixties and seventies and these little ones need you, you know, obviously you don't want them sent to any kind of foster care. So you take on the challenge, um, you know, and somehow or another you're supposed to make it work financially and emotionally. And you have very free time, to- very little free time for yourself and you're you're starting, it's like starting a family all over again. It is. Not to mention that you're dealing with grieving children. Okay? And grieving children need a lot of time and attention um, so that they grow up healthy, you know? And so I commend you. Many
0: in this this situation, well, I, I use the term I talk about Fentanyl orphans and fentanyl uh-huh. grandfamilies, grand and those terms bother some people. They don't. They don't like those terms, and it makes them uncomfortable. Good. It needs to make people uncomfortable. It needs to make people uncomfortable. People need to cringe when they hear fentanyl orphans. They need to cringe when they hear the word fentanyl grandfamilies. They need to think about the survivors left behind and what life is like for them now, you know, like it destroys families. And like I said, I, I'm raising my daughter's children, not, not Jimmy's. So they're grieving the loss of an uncle, which is not quite the same as if they'd lost a parent, but. It's still, my grief has to get put on the back burner. Right. A lot. I, two days after the funeral, I mean, two days after I put my son in the ground, I was left alone with two toddlers. And that wasn't fair to me. At all and
1: these are your daughter's children
0: i last year i wanted to go to the rally so bad i mean this is this is a big annual event i wanted to go so bad i was moderator then and i there were only two moderators that didn't attend myself and another one who was taking a very much-needed mental health break. I mean, she'd gone completely off the grid. And I hated not being able to be there, but I had no one to watch my grandchildren. And I kept trying to find live videos so I could at least feel like I was there with my sisters, you know, and fighting this battle, and and it, it was really frustrating to me. And in the very early stages of my grief you know I, I have no doubt i had ptsd from having found my son because i would remember that moment when i touched him thinking he was alive and found out he wasn't and i i would want to scream again as i would relive this moment in my mind but to do that would to traumatize these toddlers sure, so, sure. i had to just scream in my head scream in my head and I have cried in front of them, but I I try to hold it in as much as possible. And for months, I would wait until I got the kids to bed and then I would come down to my basement and ugly cry, you know, let out what I had had to hold in all day for their benefit. And, and there's one night I cried for two hours. One night I cried for one hour, one night I cried for two hours. Just, Continuously just could not stop and. I'm not the same fun Mimi I used to be. My my grandson and I used to be best buddies and partners in crime and. I, I'm just not as much fun as I used to be, and I know I know he picks up on that and. That affects him, I'm not as happy as I used to be, but.
1: How can you be you've been you've turned into a different person we all do it's you're never going to be the same person you were before
0: and people don't understand that
1: they don't they don't they think that at some point you're just going to get over this and be the same old happy-go-lucky person you were before and you're right. They never understand that that's not going to happen. Yeah. You have been forever changed, and life is like before Jimmy and after Jimmy. Right? I, it's I always. Say, there's this delineation. I, I don't know why, but it's just the way it is. It's like you're it's it's two separate after, people. Yes. Two totally separate people. Yes. And and they make you feel bad and guilty because you're not you're not the way they want you to be. Well, too bad. (laughs) I mean, this isn't about you. That's the way I always say this isn't about you. Okay. Yeah. And
0: my two youngest children haven't always been really kind. They both insisted to me that them losing a sibling is far worse than me losing a child,
1: and um, they don't have a clue. Oh, my goodness. Why would they even compare?
0: They, um, I don't need any, anyone's permission to grieve. <laughs> I, I, I don't. No, you don't.
1: And And besides their grief is their grief and yours is yours and everybody's entitled to it. And no one, no one can make those expectations of another person because we all do grieve differently in different periods of time.
0: And, you know, these warrior moms, I I call them my tribe, (laughs) you know, um, they're the only people who understand me. Of course. The only people who understand how I think and how I feel now and how, I mean, it's like I look at the world through completely different eyes now. I mean, I used yes, to yeah. be so naive and trusting and have, I I thought police did their job and I thought, you know, the government cared about its people and, I see the world so differently now. It's like, wow. And, And they're the only people who understand what goes on up here. Right. And they're the
1: only ones who can say to you, I truly understand. I truly know what you feel. Yeah. Not somebody who, you know, maybe they lost their husband or maybe they, you know, lost their dog whatever and they come up to the to you at the funeral and it's like oh i know exactly how you feel and you're looking at them like are you kidding me <laughs> and we are we are so fortunate to have other people who are grieving the exact same type of death we do because as you said it's only those people who can really I don't know if commiserate is the right word, but you know what I mean? It's, it's the love that they give you the comfort that they give you because they're living the same nightmare you are. Mm -hmm. And I always say that the very best person to go and speak to after any kind of death is the person who lived the exact same type of death. So if someone took their life, go to suicide groups. If someone was murdered, go to parents who murdered children, you know, and because you will feel comforted and you'll feel um, ha- like um, heard. You'll feel heard. Yeah. You know? And it,
0: it makes me sad because I think there are a lot, a lot parents in the grief support groups that don't really know what caused their child's death. Okay. Because I know, I mean, the police, nobody cared what substance killed my son. They didn't seem to think it mattered. Um, you know, the, when I went to the DEA family summit, there were only two of us there who's, children died from fentanyl and the rest all said their, their loved one died from heroin. There's not much heroin around anymore that either they were, those families were handpicked or misinformed. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a lot of people in grief support groups who think that their loved one died from heroin because that's what the police told them. Who really died from fentanyl? I that's what I think. That's my theory. But oh, oh, okay. a lot of people can't look at the toxic at the autopsy report. They they just can't. Yes. They, they don't know that they need to. They, you know, they have no reason to quit. I had no reason to question my son's what killed him until his friend told me about his lab work at the hospital. I I, I had no reason to question it. And I know when I got, when I finally got the police report, my town wasn't even going to write a police report. A week after I found my son, I, I I asked for a copy of the police report and they said, Well, it well it's gonna cost you five dollars. I said, I can afford that. And um, well it's gonna be a few days before it's ready. They had to put one they had to throw one together.
1: Oh so my goodness.
0: I had not written one. And I I didn't realize that at the time, but I didn't realize that until when I wrote when I picked it up, I started trying to read it and I, I I couldn't, I just, I had to put it away. I couldn't read it. And yes. a lot of people are that way with toxicology reports and autopsy reports, they, they just can't. And I think a lot of people don't know what really killed their child. And those people are, are some of them struggle with anger towards their child. Sure. They they blame their their loved one or you know whether it's a child or a sibling or whatever they they blame that person for causing their own death through their sub because of their substance use. And it's not that person's. It's not the victim's fault. That. No. I get very frustrated with the victim blaming. The that whole mentality. It's like. For how many years did we let rapists off the hook by blaming the victim? You know, we we did that for so long. And even still, well, she knew it wasn't safe to walk to her car alone at night, you know. Or her skirt was much too high. But but even, even just, you know, like, they knew the risks. They knew the risks. That when, you know, she knew it wasn't safe to walk to her car. Alone after dark, you know, she was. So, therefore, it's her own fault she got attacked, you know, or the people victims of a home invasion or a robbery, you know, well, that's what you get for leaving your door unlocked. Are we really just going to let all these criminals off the hook because the victims should have been more careful? What does that say about our society?
1: The criminals have more rights than the victims. They always do. They all always do. Even if a person is murdered, um, the state has to prove the case. It has nothing to do with the family. The family has no representation in the courtroom at all. And no. if the DA is incompetent or doesn't do their job properly, um, the family, the victim's family, is at the mercy of what occurs because they had a good or a bad DA.
0: Yeah. And you know, you always hear people say, "Oh, we got we got to get better laws." <clears throat> and, you know, we we need to we need to have a specific drug-induced homicide law or whatever. For one thing, every state has felony murder. Felony murder, distribution of drugs is a felony, and if someone dies because you were distributing drugs, it's felony murder. So we don't necessarily need new laws, but in some of the states that have enacted specific drug-induced homicide or death by distribution laws they've got state's attorneys who won't prosecute them yes and i i was reading a story about that in north carolina they have a specific law and the detective told a grandmother you know our prosecuting attorney won't won't prosecute those cases okay so we have a real problem with the checks and balances of our judicial system. If, mm-hmm. if we've given state's attorneys the authority to decide whether or not to
1: bring a trial. case, bring a case to trial or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a we've file. had. We've had like in Florida, there have been two different district attorneys that were voted into office and the governor, um, once he learned, like, as soon as this one from Orlando, this is a number of years ago, as soon as she got into office, she proclaimed that she was not going to, uh, prosecute murderers, like just not doing it because she didn't believe in the death penalty or she didn't believe in this. Okay. Okay. And so he was like, that's your job, darling, and you can leave, you're fired. And recently, the same thing happened, and he took took her out as well, because that's what they were elected to do. That's their job. That's their office. And if you don't want to do it, who the hell are you to decide that? Yeah. And
0: I hear, you know, the police say, you know, why should we bother investigating a case if the prosecuting attorney is not going to file charges? Well, we need to turn this around. I mean, because more or less in a lot of counties, murder has become legal as long as your modus operandi is fentanyl poisoning. I I've always watched a lot of crime documentaries and mm-hmm. I I've, been, I've always been fascinated with serial killers for some reason and their 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 effect on Hollywood more than anything Ed Gein and um but the crime documentaries I'm fascinated by how difficult it is to get away with murder now it's nearly impossible with the advancements in forensic sciences and DNA testing they've <clears throat> come back and freed someone who's been in prison for 15 years, wrongly convicted, because they now have the technology to to prove they're innocent through DNA or something. And I, I'm I'm like, wow, you know, it is like nearly it would be nearly impossible to I I, I tease my family. I say, you know, I, I know way more than I should about high velocity versus low velocity blood splatter. And <laughs> I I just I, but. Truly, if you kill someone with fentanyl poisoning, you're probably going to get away with it because law enforcement just doesn't seem to feel that those case, those those deaths should be investigated. And that's and very disturbing.
1: Without a doubt, it. because it's really not up to them to decide who gets charged with murder and who doesn't.
0: Right. It, it, it's not. It's very frustrating. my My son, my son deserved justice. He deserved to live. He deserved a chance to get clean. He deserved it. I really believe he would have succeeded. I really
1: do. But he didn't get the chance. So I'm going to go be his voice and you're doing a great job at it. And all those, all those families that are on the Lost Voices of Fentanyl, uh, found the, excuse me, Facebook group, and also your group for grandparents raising grandchildren while grieving the death of a loved one. Those two groups are paramount in this fight.
0: Yeah, well, and drug-induced homicide too. I gotta plug them. <laughs> I because we've got we've got to do something. We've got to make a change. It's but and I, I I'm really I really am excited for this this rally. I there is something about meeting other warrior moms in person. It as I found out this week when I got to meet April. it, it there really is a bond. There's a connection. And I mean, I have that with my tribe already. I, I love these ladies, Um, but, but there is something special about meeting them in person and
1: hugging them, hugging them them and and bonding with them in person.
0: And being our children's voices together, you know, it really talks about being boots on the ground and (laughs) I want to be boots on the ground. You know, I'm stuck here as a keyboard warrior because of my grandchildren and I want to get out from behind my keyboard and I want to go be boots on the ground with the others. And and I want to fight for my son. I want to be his voice. I want, I want him to be heard. My, my personal fight song for being his voice is, We will not go quietly by (laughs) six a.m. I I get really pumped up with music. I music is my drug of choice. (laughs) So I I I can get really pumped up with music, and um, but yeah, I'm I'm getting really really excited about this. We're gonna have some fabulous speakers. I mean, yes. And now of course I'll stop in my head and my I'm just going to I've completely forgotten who most of them are. I right? am looking book.
1: forward to to hearing Jim Rao because he was a guest, you know, on my show.
0: I saw and, I saw him on your show. He, yeah. I, he he's a very interesting man. Yeah, I would love to love to talk to him because he he is just super, super intelligent and yeah um and then derek maltz i I just love everything he's done for us. he is he's been huge supporter of our movement and um, yeah we have we have some really good speakers lined up and some some surprises and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. So let's tell
1: good. let's tell our audience it is Saturday, September twenty-third this year. It's on the um, Washington Monument lawn. Yes. The
0: Northeast Quadrant. Okay. We've got the we've got the whole Northeast Quadrant. I mean we've got like a couple football fields worth of
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. We're gonna you know a big stage, and we've got tents and Um, Yeah, the whole Northeast quadrant of the Washington Monument um, starts at 9.50, 9.55, I believe. We're going to have a meet and greet in the lobby of the, I think it's the Renaissance Hotel the evening before at five o'clock and until whenever. Then 10 o'clock in the morning, we start the rally. We've got lots of speakers. At 3 o'clock, we start lining up to march um, because of the location change. Last year, it was like a 1.1 mile. It's only going to be like 0.6 miles this time. And we have a police escort. We march to the White House, and then we rally in front of the White House, and and we go back and have some music. But, um, yeah, I, I just cannot wait to fellowship with these warriors and be our children's voice. And, and make our government hear us, make them hear us, make them hear our cries. I, I often compare the current administration to Nero fiddling while Rome burned. You know, just, oh, la, 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 just looking the other way while the citizens that I'm supposed to be protecting are just dropping like flies and, oh, la, la, I'm going back to the beach. You know,
1: it's yeah. let me go take my weekend.
0: It's very, very frustrating and why why is this happening? Well, because China's given a lot of money, is best I can see. So we need a change in leadership. We need. Uh, the, you can't put a price on our kids. Can't just let other countries come in and kill our kids. You just can't. That 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 can't happen. We need change. We need it soon. We need it real soon.
1: Completely agree.
0: I'm, I see. I. Virginia and April are both so good with the numbers. They can just spat them off. And I, I, I'll I, get them down, Pat, eventually. But, you know, how many have died just while we've been talking?
1: Well, from what I've read, it's over 300 a day. Yeah. And people have... Um, I I think it was Michael Gray, I'm not sure who mentioned that that's like having a plane go down every single day and people, uh, you know, to others, that doesn't compute. Do you know what I mean? But if you really sink your teeth into that statistic, 300 people going down in a plane every day, the news wouldn't be able to keep up. Because, you know, if there's a big plane crash, it's on the news for weeks, you know, until the, you know, national safe, uh, you know, um, NSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, thank you. um, Until they go through all their, you know, examinations and gather all the parts And then take like a year and a half just to figure out what happened. Well, what if that happened every single day? There wouldn't be enough manpower to learn what happened. And we're telling them what's happening. You don't have to go. You know, you don't have to go and do all these research studies and investigate all this stuff. It's already done. We know what it is. Now you have to make a decision whether you're going to stop it or not. And obviously they haven't made a decision to do that yet. Mm -hmm. And we're all scratching our heads, wondering how come what's in it for you? There's gotta be some payoff in this because how can you not want to stop the deaths of 12 to 40 year olds, which is now the leading cause of death? How do you not want 12 year olds to not die? And the and craziness.
0: The government and, and, and society, okay, on September 11th, 2001, mm-hmm. we were attacked by foreign terrorists on our soil. 3,000 Americans died. Yes. 3,000. Now, boy, we stood up and said, I don't think so. Right. I don't think so. We retaliated. Patriotism was higher than it had been in decades. Yep. It was all anybody talked about around the dinner table, around the water cooler. It was all you saw on the news. By golly, you attack us. I don't think so. We're fighting back.
1: 3,000. Right. And now that's in 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. That's in 10 days.
0: And nobody's talking about it. COVID. You had that little ticker running across the screen talking about how many people had died of COVID. Where's our
1: ticker? Where's our ticker? Yeah. Why isn't anybody talking about it? And the other thing too is um, for those of you who are too young to know uh, the Vietnam war, we lost 58,000 men and women over a 10 year plus period. So that's about 5,000 a year. So if you divide, say, 300 into, say, 60,000, mm-hmm. OK, <laughs> it took 10 years to get to that place. Yeah. That amount of deaths. They're yeah. all on a major wall in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And, and. And.
0: And these these victims get no recognition. No, no. In fact, nope. You know, my son, April's son, nobody cares that they died. Nobody cares. The only reason we have some officials listening to us and paying attention and wanting to do something is because of the first-time experimenters, the kids, the people who were taking what they thought was a pharmaceutical pain pill for a legitimate medical need, um, the babies, the toddlers. Because they don't care if people with substance use disorder die. They don't care. And that's really sad. It's really unfortunate. But what's beautiful in, in our group is the unity and people say otherwise, but but it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter that my son was 29 and had a heroin addiction for six years, IV for the last two. And it it doesn't matter. And here, this person, their child died by taking the very first, illicit drug they ever took, which they thought was a pharmaceutical pill at the age of 15. We're not separated by our differences. We are united because we're fighting a common enemy. You know, we are fighting. I, I wrote a big post about this, this 15 year old boy who who died from a pill he took on Snapchat and I talked about the differences that that boy is never going to get to have his first job. He's Never gonna have a driver's license. He's never going to have his first girlfriend. He's never going to have go his dad, wedding,
1: his wedding, children,
0: his first or child. finish
1: college.
0: Yeah. All these things that, that he's not going to get to do in life. And, but to get from that first time experimenting to, I I say that Jimmy is on the the far end of the innocent scale. You know, he's just about as far as you can. And but that journey from one to the other is like trying to walk across a landmine field. Because each step you risk stepping on a landmine. Right. Because okay. your dealer might have changed supply or. There's just so much risk. I mean, April and I both had substance use disorder in our past. It, we're still alive, but we didn't have to dodge fentanyl. Jimmy didn't have to dodge fentanyl in the early years of his drug use. I mean, because he 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 started smoking pot like back in high school, and and I guess went to pills and then heroin and the fentanyl that killed him, but. That journey is like walking across the landmine field, and most people will not survive that journey. And that's why, in the past, treating demand yes, I mean, people who had substance use disorder, we needed treatment and recovery, and, and, and that was what we needed to focus on. But now, those 15 year old kids treatment recovery and harm reduction is not going to save them it's not going to save those toddlers we need a whole we need to look at the big picture and i made another meme i'm going to get in trouble with disney i made another meme with the lady and the tramp you know when they're eating spaghetti and then they come together in the middle and kiss and i said why can't you know we're going to address supply while you address demand and let's meet in the middle and celebrate our victories, you know, because both, both are needed. And somebody yelled at me the other day and said, well, we need to address demand also. I said, no, I said, we don't need to. Demand needs to be addressed. And it already is being addressed. And may I say not very well. <laughs> um, but there are so many treatment recovery groups and organizations and businesses and that are doing that. And we are the only organization that is 100% focused on supply, period. And if we don't stay razor focused on that, we will fade off into what everyone else is doing and they, they, both gotta be addressed. It's gotta be. This is not the same war on drugs. It's not. This is a war on poison.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I That's a very good kids. way to say it. That's a very good way to say it.
0: I talked to my son's friends and, and I know they still use substances. I say, look, you yeah. I ain't trying to be Nancy Reagan. I'm not telling you not to do drugs. I'm telling you not to die. I just don't want people to die. And I,
1: I, I always say, this is my big thing. It's like the era or the times of experimental drugs using experimental drugs is over. It's like, it's like all or nothing. Like you can't, um, you just can't try anything, you know, unless it has a prescription on it and it came from a doctor you know, and you're not using your grandmother's medicine, it's only for you, then you just can't take it. And you can't trust your friends anymore. You know, your friends can be at a party and say, Hey, why don't you try this? It's fine. You you get a little high or get a little buzz and you'll be fine. Well, you can't trust them because you don't know where it came from, you know? No, you can't. And,
0: and the, the the dealers on Snapchat and everything that that blows my mind it blows yes. my mind and yes. they are targeting teenagers they're targeting them and and t- teenagers by nature are, are naive they they all think they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. oh I won't get in a car wreck I won't. I won't get in trouble yes you will <laughs> yes yes you will but, but they all think. They won't get in trouble. They won't have a problem. They won't get poisoned. Yes, you will is And it's, it's, just, it's hard to mention. We're, we're tired of funerals. We're tired of burying babies. We want to be heard. We want our government to hear us. We want our government to protect us. We want our government to do its job. You know? Yes. By the people for the people. Why, why would you not try to protect your people? What kind of leader doesn't do that?
1: That's what they're elected to do.
0: I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I really can't. I I don't know how someone can sit in office knowing that the people that they are supposed to be leading and protecting are just dropping like flies and not even discuss it at all i i i don't i don't understand it but but yeah i i really hope a lot of people come to our rally i i know you know it's it's a distance for some people but um and i really hope everybody comes Washington, D.C. September 23rd, the dead speak, and we will not go quietly.
1: No, we won't. And to our audience, you can go on the Facebook group called Lost Voices of Fentanyl, and you'll find all the information on the event. It starts at 9.50 on Saturday, the 23rd of September. And the more people who can possibly go to it, the better. We want this to be huge. Yes, we do. (laughs) We We want it to be huge. And even if this hasn't affected you, but you sympathize with all those who it has harmed, you should come too. Come too. And speak to these families and see how you can get involved because there are organizations involved in this all over the country. And Mm -hmm. there's a part that you can play. So please go online, go to either lostvoicesoffentanyllvof.org, or you can go to the Facebook group and learn more about it. And please take the time to go over there to the rally, be a part of it, listen to the speakers, they will educate you to what's going on right now. And if any of the media is listening to us now, we encourage you, especially to go and listen and video and please Mm -hmm. don't video for just a few minutes, video it. Yes. For a length of time, so people can truly understand the magnitude of this. And please scan the entire Washington Monument area so people will understand the magnitude of this and how many families it's affected.
0: In fact, I was, um, we actually have 29,000 members now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I hate um, to say that, but think
1: we we had
0: fewer than twenty thousand when I joined, so yeah, we we've got over twenty nine over twenty nine thousand members now,
1: oh my because God. it's
0: it it's still in the group where we we hate to see
1: it grow. but on in. the other hand, i I feel it's the it's the camaraderie and the comfort. And the safety of a place that people can will know that they'll be helped, that they'll be understood. It's a place it. for them to, you know, grieve as well.
0: You know. Yes, and and we 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 try to make it clear. Some people get upset when they come in and find out that it's public group. Well, it's hard to raise awareness in private. hmm And we are not a grief support group, but we do support one another in our grief. We're not a treatment and recovery, right? Because there's a million of those out there already.
1: Yes,
0: on supply. We are an action and awareness group, and we're we educate. We we want our politicians to listen. We want people to know. We want people to be warned. I guess we're gonna just keep doing the government's job for them. Because, I mean, even you, you were talking about Jim out you know, the, the 18 to 45, you know, number one. cut Jim Rao figured that out. That didn't come from the C- CDC. He figured that out. And that's a shame. You know, they call yes. them vital statistics for a reason. This, this is vital information we need. Why is our government not... Why are they not talking about it? Why are they just, it's mind boggling that this many people could be dying and it's just not being talked about.
1: I agree. Laura, thank you. Thank you you for joining us tonight and helping people better understand all that we go through um, when you are a bereaved parent, grandparent, raising grandchildren, and after the deaths. And I'm fortunate that you could join me today because I know that this rally is gonna be incredible. And I have a very sneaking suspicion that there's gonna be a lot more people there than we expect.
0: I think there is. Oh, I want to say one more thing about the um, um, fentanyl orphans and fentanyl grandfamilies. That makes people cringe? Good. It, means- <laughs> it does. People get mad at me. Well, well, fentanyl orphans, that's a horrible thing to call them. Does it make you uncomfortable? Does, does it upset you? Good. It needs to upset you. It, it needs to upset people. And I, I'm 56 now. I think I figured out that I'll I'll be 72 or something like that when my granddaughter graduates from high school.
1: Oh my goodness. The
0: women in my family didn't live to be living that long
1: into their 70s. And oh
0: wow. What's going to happen to her? Right. If I don't. And my sister used to work for Western Missouri Mental Health and she worked at an, a group home for adolescent boys and she told me that half the boys there Did not have a diagnosis. They were foster kids. Oh, wow. Nobody wants to adopt teenage boys. Nobody wants to foster teenage boys. The state had to put them somewhere, so they put them in a group home for the mentally ill. Can you imagine having to live your teen years in a group home for the mentally ill? Because nobody wants you. We can't. Somebody needs to start caring about these kids and 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 the grand families. Oh my goodness! That, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's hard. Stacy James and the Hope Movement Coalition. I got to go down to Arkansas last week, and that what they are doing for bereaved families is just amazing. I really wish the rest of the country would watch and learn.
1: Tell us her they, name again and her group. Stacy James with the Hope Movement Coalition in Arkansas. Say it and again, they,
0: the Hope. The Hope Movement Coalition. Okay. They, you know, they, they're helping the grandparents. They're helping the bereaved families. They're, they're treating them like they deserve to be treated and the rest of the country is not. And It's not. It's just not right. I mean, it's not right that we're not even keeping accurate statistics and accurate body count of those dying. Nobody is keeping track of the fentanyl orphans or the fentanyl grandfamilies. Nobody's. Nobody has a clue how big that problem is. Thank you for bringing attention to it.
1: Absolutely. I'm so grateful you were with me. Thank you for educating us on all of this that you did. My condolences over Jimmy.
0: Thank you for listening to his music, by the way.
1: Oh yes, it was really good.
0: That's my my favorite thing to do is share his music and watch his videos.
1: Well, thank you again. And um, I'll look forward to seeing you at the rally. Thank you for
0: having me. I look forward to seeing (laughs) you.
1: Big hugs. (laughs) Thank you. Good Good night. Bye bye.